If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to um, the book of Matthew in the Bible, chapter 5. If you haven't got a Bible, we have got a few which we can lend out. So if you just raise your hand, and then one will be brought to you uh, at great speed. And the words will be appearing on the screen behind uh, me as well of the verses that I read out. So uh, if you would rather just look at those, that's absolutely fine. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, Um, so towards the end of of your Bibles. We're going to spend a a while um, over the next few times that I preach, don't know how long maybe, um, looking at uh, what's become known as the Sermon on the Mount, Um, and uh, to start off with more especially look at what's called the Beatitudes, which which Jesus um, taught. and is recorded here and in the book of Matthew and also in Luke. Um, and before we get to them in depth, uh, we're, we're going to look at them in a bit of a more general way um, and see them in context. Now, but first of all, we'll, we'll just read um, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. We won't read through the whole of the, of the sermon, otherwise you get two sermons today. Um, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went upon a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so as I said, in coming weeks, we'll, we'll get into depth of, uh, and in a bit more detail at some of these individual uh, statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, um, etc. But first of all, we, we want to just look and see um, a bit of context, a bit of background to this. And also how we should interpret these verses and also the rest of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's, um, it's a, a section of, of teaching in the Bible which as many people interpret in different ways, some helpfully and some quite unhelpfully, I would uh, argue. So uh, let's have a, a look at that. First of all, let's look in context of where they are in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew puts them. Because he's writing an account of the life of Jesus, um, and he sets out uh, about the birth of Jesus, the visit of the Magi, and then Jesus' baptism, and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, and then he calls his first disciples. And then, um, this, is where, this is where it comes. Um, you know, if we, um, if, we don't, if we don't look at the context, and we just pick verses out at random, if we, if we don't see where it comes, then, then it can be almost like Bible roulette. I don't know if you've ever played Bible roulette. Bible roulette is where you, uh, you decide you're just going to open the Bible at random, and uh, you just put your finger on a page, and you read a verse. Um, so, uh, and it, it, could, it, could be, uh, it could be whatever. I've just done one. It says, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of, flaming, full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink down to its very dregs. That's my, 
verse in Bible roulette. There we are. Um, <laughs> Bible roulette can have some, uh, some unfortunate consequences. People, people are wanting the word for the day. You know, every day they open the Bible. What's, what's God speaking to me today? Um, the, the, the famous story goes, I have someone was, was, uh, was doing this. And uh, he opened his Bible and he put his finger on uh, Matthew 27, verse 5, which said, um, then he went away and hanged himself. So he thought, well, that can't be right. So he flicked a few more pages and put his finger on. And uh, Luke 10.37, it said, go and do likewise. <laughs> oh, no, it can't, can't be right. So um, one last go. Flick again. John 13, verse 27, what you're about to do, do quickly. <laughs> so it's not, it's not a good idea to play Bible roulette. Find a verse for the day. Um, far better to see where something comes in context and, and see what God is speaking to through that. So, um, I, you know, as I say, in Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount comes after the baptism, after the temptation, after the calling of his disciples. In, in Matthew 4 and verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, um, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Um, then you get the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, which takes Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, and at the end uh, of that, you get some accounts of healing, uh, where Jesus heals a number of different people and casts out demons. Um, so you've got a, this, this passage where uh, Matthew says, Jesus went around teaching and healing. Then you get accounts of Jesus' teaching, accounts of Jesus' healing, and then in, at the end of that, in Matthew 9 and verse 35, it says again, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So you've, you've kind of got a sandwich there of, of, of Matthew saying, this is what Jesus was about. This is what Jesus did. He taught and he demonstrated miraculous signs and wonders of the power of the kingdom. And... Um, and that's what we're to do as well. We, it's good for us to have the same emphasis that the Bible has. We can just pick out our favorite verses and our, our favorite topics in the Bible, but we, we get a skewed view of what the gospel is about. We get a skewed view of what the Bible teaches. Actually, what we need to do is try and reflect the same emphasis in our teaching that the Bible gives. So the Bible emphasizes that Jesus taught and he emphasizes that Jesus went around and did miraculous signs and healings and wonders. So we can't get too taken up with the teaching of Jesus. Oh, yes, we, we really need to study this and, and think, actually, I'm not so sure about the whole charismatic side, the whole miraculous side of things. I'd rather just have the, the solid teaching. Neither can we get too caught up with all the, the signs and wonders and, and miracles and healings and dismiss teaching, dismiss the word of God. And what Jesus actually taught, or what the rest of the Bible is actually teaching. We need to get it in perspective. Um, so even though over the next few times when I'm looking at this, we'll be looking at what Jesus taught, we need to be a church that is open to the Holy Spirit and moving in gifts uh, of the Spirit and in power. Who is Jesus speaking to in this, in this passage in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5? It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So he's teaching primarily his disciples. He's teaching those people who are following him. But we do see, if we look right to the end of this, this passage on Matthew chapter 7, as he's finished doing all of this teaching, 
Um, it says in Matthew 7 and verse 28, um, I've gone too far there, Matthew 7 and verse 28, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one, as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So the crowds are there as well. Jesus sees the crowds. He goes up, uh, up to a mountain, um, probably on a bit of a plane because Luke actually describes this as being on a flat place, um, probably on a bit of a plane on the mountain. He's teaching his disciples, but the crowds are gathering to him as well. The crowds are hearing. They're listening in to some of what Jesus is saying. And Jesus seems happy for the crowds to listen. Presumably, he hoped that others would follow him as well. And that's how we teach here, really, isn't it? We teach... Um, we don't just teach the, the sort of basics. We're not just focusing on the crowds. We're not just focusing on the people who might be guests in our meeting. If you're a guest in our meeting today, you're very welcome. You're very welcome here. But we're, we're not just focusing on the teaching that, that maybe guests might not know. So each week, just going over the basics of the gospel. Um, we want to feed those who are believers. We want to feed the church. We want to nourish the church in the truth. We want to get onto the, to the meaty stuff. Um, that, not that we ever move away from the, the gospel, but we want to get into some good teaching as well, which, which goes further than that. And so we're going to teach those things. But we're extremely welcoming of those who are interested or searching or, or, or want to know about uh, God in their lives. And I would say, if you've got friends who you think, I really love to invite people to our, one of our meetings, but, you know, I'm, I've got to wait for a guest meeting. I would say, don't. Don't wait for a so-called guest meeting or, or a carol service or some special event where you think, oh, I know at that point, you know, th- this is the message that's going to be preached. Because God can speak to people through whatever is spoken, if it's his word. If it's the word of God and it's preached, God can speak to anyone through it, including children, including young people. So if you've got children here, if there's children here today, if you've young people here today, God can speak to you through this word. Now, one of the major things, um, reasons that people might not want to speak on the Sermon on the Mount or focus on the Sermon on the Mount is because when we read it, it might very easily look as though it's all about what we can do to earn favor with God. Especially if we, if we take it out of context. If we don't look at it and see what it is that is actually being said here and see what, what Matthew and Jesus is trying to say. So we can take bits out of the Sermon on the Mount or bits out of the Beatitudes and it can, it can give the wrong impression. So, for example, I'll pull a few things out and do the Bible roulette thing with the Sermon on the Mount. You can pull things out and get a wrong impression. So, Matthew 5 and verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, okay. So our righteousness, our goodness, has got to be greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, otherwise we won't enter the kingdom of heaven. I've got to really try to be good then, you might think. Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. We've got to be perfect now. Whew. Matthew 6, 15. 
But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oh, so the way that we are forgiven is by us forgiving. It's about us forgiving, and then God will forgive us. Is that what it's about? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you'll be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured back to you. Now, you, you, might, you might read and listen to those verses and think, this is hard stuff. This doesn't sound like what we're used to hearing. This doesn't sound like what Paul teaches about, a gospel of grace, a gospel where we don't have to, um, we don't have to be, be good, we don't have to achieve things, we don't have to obey the law. And so, if you see it like that, you might just think, well, how do we, how do we read that? How can we take this teaching of Jesus? And you might react in different ways. You might think, well, Paul disagrees with Jesus. Some people would say that. Some people would say, actually, Paul's teaching disagrees with Jesus' teaching. It doesn't match up. Well, I would say, yes, it does. Yes, it does match up. Paul and Jesus are entirely consistent, and all of the New Testament writers and Old Testament are entirely consistent in the message that they bring. And we'll see that later on. Some people might say, well, um, well, it, it's, down to, it's down to how we act then. Maybe, maybe that's, that's what we have to do. Maybe we have to, 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 to achieve things ourselves. Maybe, maybe, maybe actually Jesus is right and Paul is wrong. Any number of different things that we can do. Or maybe we just think, well, we'll just ignore this. We'll just ignore this teaching. We'll brush it aside. But if we wrestle with Scripture, if we come to Scripture and say, God, will you help me with this? Will you help me to understand this? Will you help me to see what it's about? Then we can gain a great understanding, a far greater understanding, and see that this doesn't contradict Paul and doesn't contradict others. The Sermon on the Mount does not set out the entrance requirements for the kingdom of God. The, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't say that. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't say, if we are like this, then we will be in with God. If we can be good enough, then God will accept us. That is not what the Sermon on the Mount is teaching. Even though at first glance you might think that it is. If it was that, it would be legalism. That's what legalism says. Legalism says you have to be good enough. You have to be good enough to earn God's favor. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Neither is the Sermon on the Mount an impossible ideal. It's not something that you go, well, how can we be like that? We read these things in, the, in, these, in these chapters, 5, 6, and 7, and it just seems absolutely impossible. You know, love your enemies. How can we do that? How can, it's impossible. How, it's impossible. And so on. It's not an impossible ideal. God can change everyone's life. Let's not lose sight of the power that God gives us for our lives to be changed. The Catholics would have said, well, the Sermon on the Mount is for super-Christians. The Sermon on the Mount is for people who are set apart, the sort of exalted ones, the, the, um, the, the, the monks, the nuns, the saints, because they wouldn't see us all as being saints. That's who the Sermon on the Mount is for. They can live these sort of lives. Most people, they can't achieve that standard. They can't achieve that. But that isn't true either. Others would say the Sermon on the Mount... 
that was for, specifically, the people who were living in Jesus' time. That was for the people in the early church. They might have even expected Jesus to return very, very quickly. And so, and so that was just for them. Others would say, actually, it's for, it's for those in a, in a millennial age. I'm not going to go into that in any detail, but some people would say, it's for a future age to come. It's not relevant for us today. No. The teaching in this Sermon on the Mount is very much for us today. It's very down-to-earth. It's very realistic. It's about life today. That's what I would say it isn't. So what is it? What is it? Well, one of the things that the Sermon on the Mount does is show us how reliant we are on God's grace and life-changing power. Because as we read it, we're very quickly aware we cannot be like that. We can't make ourselves like this. We can't achieve all of these things by ourselves. We read it and we go, God, help me. How can I do it? How can I, how can I meet your standards? And the truth is, we can't meet God's standards in and of ourselves. Outside of God, if we do not know God in our lives, there is no way that we can meet these standards. There's no way that we can be the people that, that, Paul, uh, that Jesus describes here. I find it amusing sometimes how you, you hear people who say, well, I don't have a lot to do with the church, but I really respect Jesus. I think he was a great teacher. I think, I think one of the recent ones who said that was David Cameron. And he, he, he quoted, he said, oh, the Sermon on the Mount, fantastic teaching. You think, but how can you live to that standard? Surely you would read it and just think, man, this, this is, you, I can't see how you'd think it was amazing teaching. You'd think it can't be done. Because outside of God, it can't be done. Outside of God, that cannot happen. But I don't believe it's just an impossible ideal. I don't believe it's just something that says, uh, you know, oh, we, we totally cast on God for that. Because that's, a, that's true, but it's a little bit negative, really. I believe it also shows us what happens when God's rule and God's reign breaks into the lives of individuals. Or breaks into the lives of a community. Or especially the church. The Sermon on the Mount shows us what happens when God breaks in and transforms a community. His power transforms us. And we'll see that as we go along. But let's, let's focus in um, on this, this passage that I read, um, the Beatitudes. And, and I guess that's what we'll be looking at over the next few times anyway. Um, so these Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth, etc. Now, Question, is Jesus going round looking for people who fulfill this criteria? You should kind of know the answer uh, to that because of what I've just said. But is Jesus going round saying, I'm looking for someone who is poor in spirit and I can tell them that theirs is the kingdom of heaven? You know, maybe, t- maybe we could go and find someone and say, oh, this person, they really are poor in spirit. I'll tell them the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They might not know God, but the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Or someone who's mourning. Someone who's mourning. Can we go to them and say, well, actually, you're mourning. You may not know God, but the Bible tells us that those who mourn will be comforted. Is that how we apply this? Is that what we're looking for, people who are mourning? Or people who are, 
who are meek and will say, well, you'll inherit the earth. And is it true that God withholds his mercy to only pour it out on those who are merciful? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Is that how we receive mercy from God? Only the people who are merciful before them? No. Jesus isn't looking for these sort of people. Jesus isn't saying, this is who is worthy of coming into my kingdom. Jesus is describing people who have had their lives transformed by him. Jesus isn't looking for a beatitude people. He's coming to create a beatitude people. To make a people, to, to, to see a people come forth who will be very much out of step with the world. They won't fit in with the world anymore because the world isn't, isn't doing these sort of things. These sort of people are people who Jesus is, what, is, is seeing come about because they know him. Because they love him. Because they're in relationship with him. You see, if it was just about finding people who are like this it would kind of be a bit unfair, wouldn't it? it would be, because everyone's born with different personalities. Some people are naturally exuberant and loud. Some people are naturally quiet. Some people um, might, be, might be more naturally um, uh, meek and, uh, and, and, and uh, are a peacemaker outside of God. But that's not what it's about. That, if you start taking it like that, you get into the thing of where... Have you heard people say this? Where they say, oh, well, I don't believe you have to be... I don't believe you have to be a Christian to be, to be godly. I know someone. I know someone who, who is a better person than any other Christian that I know. He's not a Christian, but he's a better person. He's really kind. He's really generous. He's really sacrificial. And people say, but sh- surely God will accept him because of what he's like. No. God's not accepting us on the basis of what we are like. God doesn't look at us and say, have you met the standard? Because each one of us has got sin living within us. Whatever our outward personalities are like, we've got sin in our lives. And our motivations are always self-centered. Uh, this was, uh, I spotted this just in a simple little thing this week. Just flicking through the TV channels, came across... Um, a, a program about an air, uh, EasyJet, I think it was called Airline, um, where they just follow people who work for EasyJet. And um, there, was, there was this situation where um, this, this plane had come in, but it was late. And there was people on the plane who needed transferring to another plane. And, it, and they were, they were going to miss their plane. It was almost certain they were going to miss their plane. This guy who worked for EasyJet was like, ah, I'm going to sort it out. I'm going to get these people onto the plane. So he's running about, the camera's following him. He's running through the airport, um, he comes to the plane, come on, come on, we'll get your bags, we'll sort them out, we'll send them to your homes later on. Don't worry about those, run after me. These people running after him all the way through the airport. Eventually, he gets them onto the plane. And uh, they, they just make their flight. They were just about to shut the gates. This guy plays the hero. He does it all, he gets them there. Don't worry about your bags, we'll post them to your home. It'll all be fine. And he turns to the camera and he goes... That's what I love about this job. He says, they'll remember me for that. They'll remember me. They'll, they'll think I'm amazing for helping them on that day. I'm thinking, yeah, your motivation wasn't to help them. Your inner motivation was, you're going to be thought well of. 
People are going to like you. People are going to remember you. And all of us are like that. However good we seem, however righteous we seem, however merciful we might seem outside of God, however um, meek and kind and all of those things, if we don't know God, our motivations are selfish. And that is what will come out. And Jesus is not commending that because Jesus sees beyond that. that in fact, he says that in these next few chapters in his sermon. He sees beyond the external. He says, look, even with adultery, it's not about just committing adultery. It's about even if you think about it, even if you consider it and look lustfully at someone, then, that's, then God will judge you for that. You know, it's not about external exper- uh, appearances. It's about a people who have been transformed by God. These Beatitudes sum up the essential difference between someone who is a follower of Jesus and someone who isn't. Because someone who doesn't follow Jesus isn't really going to value being meek and poor in spirit. It's only those who are following Jesus, those Christians who follow Jesus, who will value those things. Others will value self-confidence and self-esteem and being in control. A follower of Jesus may hunger and thirst after righteousness, but other people may hunger and thirst after wealth or fame or a larger house or an increased status in life, being thought well of. No, the Beatitudes are summing up the life of a Christian who has known the transforming power of God's love in his life and is setting about trying to fulfill Jesus' commandment to love one another. In fact, all of this, all of this sermon probably... Uh, that Jesus gives is probably summed up by Jesus' commandment, love one another as I have loved you. It's just setting out examples of how to do that. If we are a Christian, we will be poor in spirit. If we are a Christian, we will be those who mourn. If we are a Christian, we will be those who are meek and we will hunger and thirst after righteousness and we will be merciful and we will be pure in heart and we will be peacemakers And it's true, we will be persecuted for those things. That is what God is doing in each one of us who comes to know him. And you might think, doesn't actually, looking at my life, it doesn't always seem like that. But God is doing that. And that is what he's making us into. When we finally come come into into the glory and into the um, risen, resurrected body that that will be ours when Jesus returns, we will know that fully. But we will know that in part now as well, because Jesus has already started to do that. It's important for us to realize none of us are like this naturally. None of us are like this naturally. Everything is down to the grace of God. But we can all be like this. It's not just an impossible ideal. We don't just look at it and say, that doesn't match up with me and my character, therefore I'm dismissing it. I'm not going to take account of it. We need to come to a place where we say, God, this is what you are doing in us. God, I want to see this more and more in my life. I believe you're doing this in my life. I believe you are making me more and more like this, more poor in spirit, more uh, one of those who mourns, more meek more someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. It's not like the gifts of the Spirit. When Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he says, oh, uh, one has this gift and the other has another gift. 
Maybe someone has, has the gift of prophecy. Someone has the gift of tongues. Someone has the gift of interpretation. Someone has the gift of, uh, of wisdom. It's not the same with this. It's not like, oh, there's, there's one who is poor in spirit, and then someone might be meek, and someone might be merciful, and someone might be a peacemaker, and there might be some who are persecuted. Now, all of these are describing us. They're all for us. More like the, the fruits of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians 5, which are, which are not a pick-and-choose thing, or that God gives one and then gives another. Galatians 5 uh, 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Very similar kind of list, really, that Jesus comes up with here. It's not that Paul and Jesus are, are opposed to each other. They both are seeing the work that God is doing in our lives. The work that God is doing in us as we come to know him. The transforming of our character. And it is about our character. It is about who we are in God, not about what we do. You see, we can look at this and think it's about what we do. Blessed are the peacemakers. All right, okay, the peacemakers. Right, what I'll do, I'll, uh, I'll need to go and I'll need to just find someone who's having an argument with someone else and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of break it up, you know, like, like they do. Break it up, break it up. I'll, I'm the peacemaker. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. In God. Someone has said the be attitudes come before the do attitudes. I don't know where the do attitudes are, but um, it's about who we are in God. In fact, Jesus lists these characteristics and these parts of our character, parts of, of who he's making us, before he goes on and talks about what we do. He starts giving examples later on, doesn't he? He starts saying, well, this is what I'm teaching about adultery. This is what I'm teaching about divorce. This is what I'm teaching about giving to people. This is what I'm teaching about prayer and in fasting um, and about judging other people. Those are, are the kind of practicalities of what we do. And we can be very keen to rush on to those things. We can think, oh, well, let's get on to the, to the meaty stuff. I, I don't really get all this ethereal Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Well, we'll look and see what that means in future weeks. But let's not rush on from the character things. God's wanting to work on our characters. God's wanting to see us a transformed people. Not just what we do outwardly, but with our characters still, still in a mess. God's saying, no, we're going to get the foundations right. We're gonna, I'm going to transform you. I've begun the process He's begun the process. As soon as we came to know him and have our sins forgiven and be born into a new life with Jesus, God started that process and he's continuing it today. We don't have to rush on and just think about the practicalities. And we can come and know our total, total dependency on God to see them come about in our lives. And we can trust him that they will because it's God who's doing it and he's faithful. Oh, I, can't, I don't know, I, can, I can't imagine ever being like this. Well, it's not about what you are going to do to make yourself better. It's about what God is going to do in you, and we can be encouraged in that. We'll see in coming weeks that we truly are blessed or fortunate to know God's kingdom power at work in us, because that guarantees that, it will, that we'll inherit the kingdom one day. 
We can know God's grace in our life. And we can celebrate that. And we can see it in others. And we can encourage people in that. God's at work in you. Brothers and sisters, God is at work in each one of us. But it's also an invitation. It's an invitation to those who don't know these blessings. The crowds were there. The crowds were there listening to Jesus' words. I wonder what their response was to be. I wonder what their response was, assuming that they could hear him. There's always that famous sketch, isn't it? Was it Monty Python or someone where people listening and, what's that? Blessed are the cheesemakers. What's that? Cheesemakers? <laughs> what was the response of the crowds who heard these words? Were they just thought, oh, what's, this, what's all this about? Well, they were amazed at what had been said. It says the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I'm not, I don't know about this. This is, this is news to me. Maybe you'll go away thinking, I'm not so sure. But maybe, maybe there'll be others who think, actually, I want to be part of this. I've always thought before it was about what we did. I've always thought it was about trying to be a better person. That's what I've seen Christians as, people who thought they were better than me. Well, that's not the truth. Christians are not people who are better than anyone else. Christians are people who know their dependency on God. Absolutely. Know that there's no way that we can make ourselves any better. We can't make ourselves right. We can't heal ourselves. We can't change ourselves. Only God can do that. But there's an invitation here from Jesus himself to come in to the blessing that he offers. To follow him. To have your life transformed by God. Are you drawn to be one of these Beatitude people? Are you, maybe you're just here because your friends invited you on. Maybe you're just here out of curiosity. But these words of Jesus can be for you an invitation and ultimately could become words of transformation that you can become one of these people too. You can be blessed. You can have the kingdom of heaven. You will be one who is comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled. You will be shown mercy. You will see God. You'll be called sons of God. And yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we are promised as sons of God. That's what Jesus gives us. He's not saying be like this. He's saying this is yours. This is yours because of me. And this is what you can be. And see that go out into the world and be countercultural, but transform society. Let's pray.